Matthew chapter 14. This chapter, just before the event that I'm about to read to you, Jesus has performed a tremendous miracle, a miracle that I think uh, changed the direction of his ministry in the fact that even though he had performed a number of miracles for individuals, this was a miracle that affected more than just one. He's now fed 5,000 men besides the women and children is what verse 21 tells us. He has done the impossible and his fame is now going to be spread abroad that he has come and the power and the ability that he has. So with that, he knows it is a pressing time for him and his disciples because now they're going to be bombarded, if you will, by people. You know, you don't have to see but a few dead folks raised and a few hungry folk fed for folks to start coming. I've said a lot of times, if I didn't see anything more happen at church and what a lot of folks do, I probably wouldn't go any more than what they do either. But when you see the Lord do the miraculous time and time again, there is a drawing to come back to say, Lord, do it again. And he realizes the impact that this has made on people. So immediately after they've gathered up the 12 baskets of fragments, you'll read with me, if you will, in verse 22, the miracle is now over. Jesus said, I'll take care of the multitude and I want you to do as I've commanded you. In fact, he not only commands them, but the Bible says straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. I think there's some vital lessons that we can learn. I realize the vast majority of people here tonight are Christians, and with every group of Christians that gather together, we realize that there are times in life where it seems like we're facing things, and the storm seems so great, and we wonder how that we'll make it through it. It's good to see Denver here tonight. And I know he's been in a real storm and Rosina has been back down at hospice and Brian and I were able to visit with her today and have prayer with her again. And there's some real storms in life that if you'd ask him tonight, 
Did you ever see a time coming like what you're going through right now? He'd probably be the first to tell you, I never saw it coming. But it's good to know that the Lord sees it all. And I think there's some things that we've got to look at when we face storms in our life. Some simple things. I want you just to mark down a few points that God has touched my heart about. First of all, I think you need to be aware that the presence of obstacles is no proof that you're out of the will of God. They faced a real obstacle in their life. Now, I think when we face obstacles in our life, the first thing that we should do is search our heart and search our soul. But they didn't have to search very long because they were where they were at because of the direct command of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't do it on their own will. They did what he told them to do. Do you know you're always safe if you're doing what he tells you to do? You may face it, but if he told you to do something, he'll be with you and take care of you through that. So this wasn't something that they were wanting to do by themselves. It was something that the Lord had commanded them to do. He had commanded it for a particular reason that we'll find out later in this miracle that was performed. The other thing is, is they were under the direct orders of the Lord, but still they had to go through a tough time. It was a time where we read that fear came. Fear tried to overcome them. So he's trying to teach them some lessons because they're gonna face some things later on that's a lot greater than this storm that they're in right now. But the Lord's preparing them for the things that they'll face even after that he's gone and they go out into the world to preach the gospel and eventually these are the same individuals that become martyrs for the cause of Christ. So we realize the Lord's preparing them for even greater things that they'll face on down the road. The other thing is, is that we should never look at others that's going through a storm and try to determine the reason that they're going through their obstacles. Please hear me when I say this. You have a big enough time taking care of your own problems. Don't become like the Old Testament believers which if there was ever a flaw in the Old Testament belief system, it was the fact that every time something that seemed to be bad, if it would happen, they always felt like that the individual had sinned or done wrong. Now don't misunderstand me. We may have sinned and it led to the problem that we're in because God, he'll chasten those that he loves and he, he not only chastens them, but through that with love, that time is also a time of teaching. It's more than just the discipline, it's what he's trying to teach us through that so that we can be better Christians and better servants of the Lord. But in this particular case, they were right where God had led them and the Lord was taking care of them. Another thing is, is not only that the presence of obstacles is no proof that you're out of the will of God, but second of all, the lack of progress is no proof that you're out of the will of God. Contrary winds means that you're going nowhere. You can't move forward. You can't seem to make any progress whatsoever. Uh, most of you are aware of the fact, I don't talk much about our personal life. Uh, you, you know, I don't wanna be one of those preachers that bore you with all my family affairs and everything that's going on. I'm here to preach about Jesus, not about me. And, uh, but yet, uh, you, you know, occasionally there's just that illustration that fits. And I met 
Candy preaching a revival for her father. He pastored a church in Northern Ohio. And uh, of course, that led to a relationship that led to marriage. And then after we were married for several years, her family still lived up on Lake Erie. And, uh, and I'm, I'm glad the Lord brought her to the mountains and got her off the lake. But I'm glad that they stayed on the lake for a while because that gave us a chance. Uh, back then, there were no limits on perch. And I love perch. So I would book revivals in that area and we would fish of the day and uh, go to church of the night. And yeah, Brian's all thrilled now. Yeah. But regardless, we'd fill our freezer up with fish and I would have fish all winter long and uh, just as fresh as could be. Man, I loved it. Candy hates fish, but she loves me. So she fries fish for me. And she would fry the fish for me and we would go out and I remember one day uh, we, we had decided it, it looked great. The weather looked perfect. It was about gonna be about 75 degrees that day. Her uncle had come up with his boat. Her grandfather had his boat. And we all decided we're going out on Lake Erie and we're gonna go fishing. Well, when we got on the lake, it was just smooth as glass. But if you know much about Lake Erie, it's a shallow lake and things can change very quickly. In fact, you can make one turn of course and go just a few hundred feet and be in swells of water that's unbelievable. Now, I've been on Lake Erie a lot of times. I only got sick one time, and that's when Herbert May took me fishing. And he felt so bad about it, but I got sick one time, and then I went right back to fishing and was fine all day. However, my buddy Mike Blanton stayed sick the whole trip, not because of the waves, but because he saw me get sick. And uh, we're out on this on the lake. It was smooth, just smooth. Out of nowhere, uh, we had turned one, just one direction to go where they'd been catching a lot of fish. And uh, we thought, man, this is gonna be a great day. Great day. And uh, we had our rods ready. You put spreaders on your rod, you can pull them up two at a time. Man, it's gonna be fantastic. And it hit. And when it hit, we couldn't get back to shore. We wound up coming in about 10 miles down from where we planned to come in and had to call somebody to come and get us because we couldn't go back to the marina that we were at. This is no exaggeration. It was no time at all. Uh, some of the swells, uh, they, they had a thing that could tell you the height of the waves, some of them eight and a half feet. And we were in a boat that really, it wasn't that big of a boat to be on Lake Erie and I can remember going down in the swells and looking and seeing water all around. And Candy's dad and her grandfather and her uncle all experienced fishermen. And uh, her uncle said, I've fished this lake my whole life. I've never seen anything like this. I don't know how to get to shore. Well, I was fine until he said that because he's the captain of the boat. And if he don't know how to get to shore, where's that put me? All I know how to do is fish and eat fish. I don't know anything about a boat. So it finally, and, and it was, it was terrible getting back in. And when we finally landed, 
uh, it was just such a sweet relief that literally I got off on the dock and bowed down and kissed the ground. I mean, I felt that, I felt that relieved. But I can remember, it just seemed like we were going nowhere. You'd come up on the swell, you'd see land, but you could make no progress toward the land because the waves were against you. There's sometimes in your Christian experience where you'll feel like you're growing and you're moving forward, but then there's other times that you just feel like I'm not progressing. I'm stuck right where I'm at. I don't seem to be moving forward. I don't seem to be moving higher. I just seem to be stuck because I'm at a place where every time I try to go forward, the storm seems to be against me to push me right back. Just because there's no progress doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. I talked to a preacher the other day. He's been in a church for two years and he's discouraged because he said, Cal, we've only seen two or three people come to Christ. And I said, your responsibility is not to save people. Your responsibility is to preach the gospel. The results belong to the Lord. Be faithful in the place that he's put you. Thank God for the desire to see people saved. But you know, they don't always come all at once. But then suddenly out of nowhere, you finally reach your destination and God manifests himself. And you'll say, that's why, that's why the storm was so bad. Because I know it was just a tactic of the enemy to try to get me from receiving what God had. The other thing is, they experience discomfort, but they were never in danger. Well, you say, wait a minute, they're in a storm. They had to feel in danger. No, they weren't in danger. It was very uncomfortable, but Jesus already told them, you get in the boat and I'm gonna meet you on the other side. We're going to the other side. When he said that, there's no danger. That boat could have turned upside down, but they'd have made it to the other side. He was taking care of him. It's much like the apostle Paul when he got in the storm where for 14 days and 14 nights they couldn't see the stars or the moon or the sun and, and it was a constant battle with the storm. But late in the night, there was a visitor that came to Paul in the night and said, you tell them to stay on the ship and no harm shall come to any of them. And all the souls were saved. Some of them made it on broken pieces and boards, but yet they all made it safely to the place that God had directed them. If you just stay in the place that God has directed you, I promise you'll make a safe destination and a safe landing. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9 says, you're troubled, yet we're not distressed. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. You're perplexed, but you're not despaired. You're cast down, but you're not destroyed. Things will come against us, but always in the end, it'll be just fine. The other thing is, the Lord constrained them to get in the ship while he sent the multitudes away. I don't think I've ever had to force a crowd to go home. I have a harder time forcing them to come to church. Getting them to come is a lot harder than getting them to go home. But he said, you get in the boat. See this miracle now, it's, it's created enthusiasm among a multitude. 
And he knew expectation would raise. So he's really protecting them in what he's doing. You get in the ship, you go to the other side. And he sends the multitude away. They were afraid not to listen to the Lord. Think of what they'd just seen him do. If he could do that, what else could he do? So they obeyed him. But then he goes to a mountain and leaves them in the storm. He goes to a different place than where they're at. But the amazing thing is he sees them, he prays for them, and at the right time, he comes to them. Sometimes we'll feel like that God sent us somewhere, but yet at the same time, we're wondering, Lord, I'm in the middle of all this, but where are you at? You feel like he's way off, but always remember, even though he may not visibly be in front of you, he's still praying for you. He told Peter, he said, Satan desires to have you, but I and sift you sweet, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And that's something. He didn't pray that Peter wouldn't fail. He prayed that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. Do you know why? Because if your faith doesn't fail, you won't fail. So the basis of our life is faith. They were doing what he said by faith. They took him at his word by faith. They're in a storm by faith. He's praying for them and by faith, they've got to believe that help is on the way. So he's praying for us. He came when he was needed the most. He came in the fourth watch of the night. Now, what does that mean? Well, the first watch of the night was 6 to 9 p.m. The second watch was 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. The third watch was 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. The fourth watch was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. You, you better catch this. He came in the darkest part of the night. Now, he didn't come right away. He sent them out. And when he sent them out, there wasn't darkness yet. There's nothing to indicate that. He sent them out of the light and now they're faced with darkness. And the storm is not allowing them to get to the other side. And he waits. If you don't get anything else, you write this down. Deity can afford to wait. God doesn't get in a hurry. You're not gonna rush him. You're not gonna control him. You're not gonna tell him what to do, when to do it. He's God. He's in control. But he knows what is his greatest, greatest timing to come for his greatest glory, and that's when he'll come every time. He shows up at the perfect time. And when he came to them, he came supernaturally. Now they're looking for help, but they didn't think help would come the way that help came. He came walking on the water. And even though they realized when he spoke, it was him, Peter especially, we, we talk a lot about Peter, but at least Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat. And he took the Lord at his word. Yeah, he got on the journey. Don't forget, Peter walked on the water too. That's what the Bible says. When he came 
the Lord said, come. He got out and started walking. It's when he looked at the waves and the wind that fear overcame the faith that was in him and what faith was doing, fear destroyed. Fear's always trying to destroy in our heart what faith is doing. I'm not merely talking about faith in God for salvation. It is the fact that fear tries to say, God has done it in the past, but he's gonna let you down this time. Or where's God at now? You're going through all of these things. And fear will begin to grow to the place that we'll feel like, oh, you've done it in the past, but Lord, I'm sinking now. That was the position they were in. But when he came supernaturally, they realized that faith is not reason. Faith accepts what's impossible. And when they accepted what was impossible, the experience removed all doubt. I wish we weren't like this. I wish that we could say, Lord, we see it the way you see it. You see the end from the beginning. But sometimes we're stuck in the middle and we have a hard time seeing it that way. But once you've had the experience, you can't doubt it then. Somebody said, why do you pray for sick people? They all don't get well. Oh, but I've seen him heal enough to believe him for it. Somebody said, preacher, why do you pray for particular needs of individuals because I've seen it happen enough times where needs were supplied in a miraculous way that it's too late for me to doubt him now. The experiences that I have had with him has removed the doubt. It's not that I ever doubted who he was and it's not that I doubted that he did it for others. But for some reason we feel like when it comes to us, there's doubt that's there. But when you get enough experiences behind you where God has saved you from the middle of the storm, pretty soon doubt doesn't rule anymore. But faith in a God that can do anything overcomes all of that doubt. It brought about a confession. The last verse that I read to you tells you two things, verse 33. Number one, when you see something like this happen, you've got to worship. You've got to worship. Uh, an individual lovingly asked me the other day, they, they had seen a, I don't know, a clip or something on one of the services that I was in and, and I wasn't even preaching. I don't want to mislead you. It wasn't anything that I did. But they said, do you think that we could have that kind of atmosphere in the church that I attend. And I said that kind of atmosphere could be anywhere that you welcome the Lord. But answer this for me. Why should God do it if you're not even gonna thank him for it? I mean, why should he do it if you're not gonna praise him for what's done. He's not doing it for you to say, oh yeah, thank you Lord, and go on your way and say, that's another one I'm gonna chalk up. God took care of me there. No, he wants us to worship him. And he said, I've done this. And they realized he did the impossible. Why they doubted is beyond me because they had the evidence of a miracle that had just happened to the feeding of the 5,000 men. Besides the women and children, they had those baskets in their ship and they never considered it. 
He said, you've got a short memory. You're not even considering the loves. One of the gospel writers recorded the question, did you not consider the loves? You mean, you think I was God when I fed 5,000, but I'm not God when you're in the storm? We've got a short memory. There's people here tonight that God has absolutely spared your life from destruction. And dynamite couldn't blow you out of your seat tonight to make you say praise the Lord. I mean, if he saved us, that ought to be enough. Shouldn't be any more than that. I don't have to know that devils are subject unto me. I don't have to see him heal the sick to praise him for him to save us and know that our name's written down in the book of life. That ought to be enough for us. Don't you consider what he's done for you? Haven't you seen where he brought you from to where you are? and then where he's taking you to. That should be enough. But instead, the devil would love to make you doubt. I had a good friend, I'm gonna close with this, I had a good friend that she was up in years, she loved the Lord and she was among the most of the faithful. There are just some people that they're just extremely faithful. I don't remember them as a kid growing up. I don't remember them even missing church. And she got older and they called me one day and told me she was in our local hospital. Uh, that was about the time I just came to the church here. The, the first time, that was in 1983, so probably around 84, 85. She had a terrible stroke. Left her with the inability to have feeling and and to use one side of her body and even affected her speech. It was terrible. I'd, I'd go visit with her. And she loved the Lord. Please don't take this the wrong way. It's just the devil will take advantage of sick bodies and, t- and tired minds. He will. And she'd say, Cal, would you pray? I can't figure out why I'm going through this. And we'd pray and she'd just cry and I knew she wasn't going to quit. I don't, want, I don't want you to be misled. She wasn't that tight, but I could tell she was discouraged. She just wanted to know why. And I reassured her, you may not know why until you get to heaven. It could be for a nurse that's working with you. It, it could be for a doctor that's working with you. It could be just a lesson in life to say, Lord, I need you every hour. Just that quick, my life can change and I need you every hour. Well, during that time, uh, our hospital, uh, it was, wasn't uncommon. They had a few private rooms. It's not like it is now where the majority of them are private rooms. They used to have a curtain up and uh, we even had a few rooms back then that I would visit in the old hospital that they would have as many as four patients in one bigger room have curtains up. And uh, she had somebody in the room with her on the other side of the curtain. I didn't know the individual. I hadn't been around. So one day she's, she's just questioning and crying. We, I give her scripture. We pray. And uh, after that I finish praying, uh, I'm 
there speaking to her, getting ready to leave. And I hear a voice on the other side of the curtain saying, pardon, excuse me. I sure would like for you to come pray with me. And I said, ma'am, is it okay if I pull the curtain back? Oh, yes. I pulled the curtain back. She was laying on her side. She said, I've listened to you come in here every day and pray for her. Something just said, why don't you ask him to pray for you? Said, maybe God would touch your body. And I said, well, ma'am, I'll be glad to pray for you. I said, but you know, before I pray for you, there's one thing that I do need to ask you. And she said, what's that? I said, do you know Christ as your savior? Do you, do you know you're born again? Do you know if you die, you'd go to heaven? She started crying. She said, no. And I said, well, see, if I just pray for your healing and the Lord gives you healing, you're still gonna die lost. But if you get your soul right with God, it doesn't matter if you live or die, you can't lose. And there she called on the Lord and I, I showed her from the Bible how she could be saved and she asked the Lord to save her and oh, how sweet it was. And she said, she looked over at the other lady and said, now you know why you're in here. <laughs> A new convert tell her, now you know why you're in here. Sometimes it doesn't always make sense to us, but God leads us to desert places. But yet he says, I've got a purpose and a plan for you that's greater than you can ever imagine, but you've got to trust me with it. What do you need to trust him for?